Nearly 45 years ago to the day the Women's Professional Basketball League played its first game. One of the players on the court that day, the Chicago Hustle's Elizabeth Galloway-McQuitter, joins us today to talk about the first game, her basketball experience, and what she's doing now. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and happy Friday. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm host Natalie Heverin and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. If this is your first time listening to Locked On Women's Basketball, we at The Next have over 100 reported pieces every single month. We have a beat reporter on every single WNBA team and one on more than 15 different NCAA beats. So get that YouTube subscription up. And you can also support us by subscribing to The Next, $9 a month, $72 a year at thenexthoops.com. Today, we'll be chatting all about the 45th anniversary of the first Women's Professional Basketball League game, as well as Liz's basketball career, the legacy of the WBL, and more. Joining me today is Legends of the Ball's uh, own Elizabeth Galloway-McQuitter. Starting off, uh, welcome, Liz. But before I get into questions with you, I just want to read a statement from Joni Smith, the woman who scored the first basket in the WBL and your former teammate. Uh, the well, date was opponent. <laughs> oh, opponent. Yes. Yes. She played with uh, yeah. Um, the date was December 9th, 1973. The Milwaukee Doe's were fortunate enough to host the, the Milwaukee Doe's were fortunate enough to host the inaugural game of the WBL at the downtown arena versus the Chicago Hustle. The beautiful Robert Indiana designed court was sparkling as fans filed in. Well over 7,000 were in attendance to witness history. Even the infamous rainbow hair man was there. The spotlights were flying all over as both teams were being introduced. Karen Logan's name was called. She came up to me, shook my hand and said, let's make this work. My tingles got tinglier as we lined up for the jump ball. Chicago won the tip, missed their first shot. The dose captured the rebound and the ball ended up in my hands. There I was at the left elbow, 15 feet away. I let her rip, swoosh, nothing but net, not even sure it hit the net. So pure. And there you have the beginning of the of professional women's basketball. And she included WBL and, and a heart emoji. Um, so just really glad that she was able to submit that. Um, and Liz, you know, 45 years ago, Saturday was the first ever WBL regular season game. From your perspective, what was that first game like? And what was Joni's first basket like? Um. The first game was just pure joy and pure excitement for a group of young women who had recently ended their collegiate careers and really had no idea before that that they would have the opportunity to play professional basketball. So before that, just the love of the game and the opportunity to continue playing. I always say continue the love affair that we had begun with basketball. But on that day, we realized the magnitude and the significance of it. And the only thing I'll say about that bucket is I wish it had been one of us, but Joni is such a great person. We're, we're happy um, 
that she scored that first bus- basket uh, almost 45 years ago because it, it started off women's professional basketball in the United States. And you touched on this, but what did it mean to you to have a league to play in and, and finally play in that first game? You know, it's funny, uh, young girls today and those before talk about it, but they, their, their point of reference is the WNBA. And we were the same. We were no different than those young women who realize we have a place to play. Now it's the norm for young women coming up that they have a women's pro basketball league. We didn't have that coming up. We weren't thinking that coming up, but right out of college, um, knowing that we had the opportunity to go play in a professional league. I can't explain it. It's the same feeling they would be feeling now as they're growing up. And, you know, you you talk about that. And, you know, what did it mean to you to set that example uh, for, for young girls back in the late 70s? And, you know, I think people don't realize that we were setting that example. We took ownership of it and took uh, the responsibility that we've got to make this work. As I said in the beginning, it was playing for the love of it and just excited that we had the opportunity to play and get paid for it. It wasn't a lot of money. That wasn't even the issue to have a league, but it was not, it didn't take long for us to realize that. So young girls at the games and much like today, young boys even and uh, parents who now felt that their daughters had an avenue to continue to play basketball. Basketball has been good in this country for a long time. And unless you are, a follower of it or a historian or were part of that era. I, everything didn't just start recently. It's been good for a long time. There's no question about the growth of it. But um, we had a, a responsibility to those young girls, to the fans, to the game itself, to make this work. And that's how we said That's what we set out to do. And taking a step back, how did you get involved in the WBL? Um, Joni mentioned Karen Logan, and um, we were uh, at UNLV, and Karen Logan came out there. She was basically recruiting players, and they were uh, Bill Byrne, the founder, uh, all the coaches. They were going to the top programs, and you got to understand, we're also Title IX Trailblazers and AIAW Trailblazers, the Association for Collegiate Athletics for Women pre-NCAA. They governed our championships, and so once Title IX was in effect. Uh, these scholarships now were starting to, to be taken advantage of by women. If you look at 167 colleges and universities are represented in the, by the women in the WBL. And you're thinking Title IX is just at the, at the beginning and these programs are now being funded. So Karen Logan came to UNLV and told us about it. Uh, and out of that school, out of that group, five of us went into the WBL immediately. And uh, Deborah Waddy, who, and Janie Fincher, myself, the four of us played for the Hustle. Belinda Candler played for uh, Houston. And Janice Fuller was on Milwaukee's team. Uh, so four of us out of that class ended up in that first historic game, representing the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And then Belinda Candler, of course, the first champions were the Houston Angels that year. So, um, you know, it was it was setting the setting things in motion as a direct result of the women who uh, put together this AIAW that gave us an opportunity to play championships. And then, of course, Title IX that gave us that opportunity. And, 
what was the reactions uh, of your friends and family when you told them you'd be continuing your basketball career and playing in the WVL? Well, first, I think all of our moms, all of our parents were a little leery. Even we were leery. But you, when you're a trailblazer, when you're a pioneer going into uncharted territory, that's what you do. You don't know the outcome. You take a chance. You take that leap of faith. And so we all took that leap of faith. Our parents were worried. My mother was worried. Lucky for me, my, my dad lived in Chicago. I grew up with a stepfather in Texas, but my dad and uncle lived in Chicago. So she was put at ease with that. And um, we all just packed up and headed, you know, to, to try to see if we could make this work. Like I said, that's what pioneers do. Awesome. And, you know, uh, always love hearing more about your story. What was what was that first season like in Chicago? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would I am so blessed and grateful that we had the opportunity to play in Chicago. Doug Bruno, who still coaches at DePaul University, was our coach. Uh, Chuck Shriver, John Garrity, Sherwin Fisher. Uh, I think Sherwin came the next year. He came in. Larry Cooper, our, the ownership. And Chuck, as the general manager, had worked with the pro teams in Chicago, the Cubs, the White Sox. And so he had these media connections. He had he he invited them to our practice and said, come take a look. Don't judge. Just come see these women. And and you've interviewed Chuck on the show. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the fact that they were impressed with our work ethic, with our skill level, our love for the game. And it's almost like in his mind, if you build it, they will come. And so the media got behind us. Doug always likes to say Chicago is a sports town, and it is. And lucky for us, it was pre-Michael Jordan and the Bulls. No offense to anybody at the time, but uh, Chuck was able to get WGN to cover our games. We had Lacey Banks, the Chicago Sun-Times, Bill Joust, the Trib. We had our own beat writers. We had a lot of the local papers. So everything was set in motion for us to succeed. The PR campaigns to bring fans in. We played at, played at DePaul's alumni gym, which was cozy. So Chicago really became like the model franchise for how to make it successful. And then all we had to do was sell the product. And that's what we did. Awesome. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk more about the first season of the WBL and the impact of the league. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week, we're going to provide you players that are a guaranteed fit on your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. As an 810 writer, I love seeing former Dayton Flyer and current Indiana Pacer Obi Toppin on Josh's list. Toppin has been shooting the lights out recently. He shot at least 50% from the floor in four of his last five games. This season overall, he's making 76.3% of his two-pointers and averaging 13.1 points, 3.0 rebounds, and 1.3 assists per game. The Pacers have a great schedule coming up, including the in-season tournament East semifinal on December 7th against the Bucks, and next week they're on the road taking on the Pistons, Bucks, Wizards, and Timberwolves. Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball is 
going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. I'm not a car person. I forgot the last time I replaced my tires and last week thought they needed to be replaced when they were only two years old. As it turned out, though, my brakes did need to be replaced. But that's where eBay Motors comes in to save me and make handling all of my car repairs easy. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Lockdowns has launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. So, Liz, um, you touched on this a little bit in segment one, but how did Title IX help pave the way for you and the WBL? Well, um, when we were in high school, Title IX came along. I don't. I can speak for myself and members of LOB and uh, my inner circle of friends. Um, we really didn't know what that meant, what Title IX would mean for us or what we would mean for Title IX. And so after we graduated high school, the opportunities came. And um, my coach, Fran Garman, I went to Temple Junior College first and then to UNLV to play for Dan Ayala. But by the time... I went to Temple. Miss Garman was educating us on Title IX and what it was about and what was going to happen and be the results of it. By the time I went to UNLV, we became the first group to receive a scholarship. They had a team the year before, and I really want to pay, acknowledge that team. They jump-started everything, but they were not scholarship athletes. So my class, my group, we were the first to receive scholarships. So at every university, all these major universities, like I said, there's a, the WBL represents 167 major universities, small colleges, HBCUs, and all of these programs and these coaches at these programs were being jump-started by this fresh breed of Title IX trailblazers. Um, you have to wonder, when you're thinking of Title IX as an entity, and it's spoken so many times, Title IX did this. Well, Title IX is an entity. It had to be put into effect by living, breathing young women with names and faces who, along with their coaches and administrators, went on to create seminal moments that led to the WBL, that led to the first Olympic team prior to that, uh, that led to all the opportunities and leagues that, that attempted after the WBL leading up to the WNBA. So Title IX set all of these things in motion for us, and we took full advantage of it. And what was your favorite moment playing in the WBL, whether it was from that first season or, or the two following that? I think the favorite moment would have to be the sisterhood and the camaraderie that was formed. I mean, we had fierce rivalries. Obviously, Chicago and Iowa was a fierce rivalry, and there were others within the league. But there was still this camaraderie that existed among all of us, knowing that we were part of something special. I don't think we could 
fully comprehend the magnitude or the impact of the league at that time. Because, um, but we certainly knew what we were charged with doing, going out there, putting on a show every night, giving our best, making sure this league survived. So uh, the friendships I've formed that, that last to this day, if you look at the Legends of the Ball, Inc., Board, which is our nonprofit to, that promotes the historic and social relevance of the WBL. Those are my former teammates, opponents, and friends that make up that board, from the original board to the current of 12 to the current board of eight right now. So that would be the lasting memory that we all created together, friends and foes on that board. <laughs> and we'll talk more about uh, Legends of the Ball, Inc. in our next segment. Um, but what was that fan support like when you were playing in Chicago? Oh my goodness. We had a fan base, uh, and be, because WGN carried our games, we had more reach than a lot of other teams that didn't have that coverage. But the good thing about it is my family back home in Texas could watch, watch us play. So we, we developed a national, WGN was carried nationally. So we developed a national fan base. All of us did, but the hustle developed a national fan base. In the, uh, uh, our fans, I think you could ask any team in the league and they would say that our fans were the best fans. They were the, because they not only supported the hustle, they supported the opponents. They supported the whole aspect, every aspect and the whole concept of the league itself. We had a special thing after the game. We'd go down to the Blue Demon Room and the fans got to mingle and talk with the hustle players and the visiting team members would come down there. So it was a social gathering. They were loyal. They traveled all over. Uh, they still, they're still out there today. Uh, we were introduced at a Chicago Sky game and we had hustle fans that remembered us from that time. So the, with the media that we had with, like I said, Chuck Schreiber and Doug Bruno and John Garrity, the job, uh, Sherwin Fisher, everything that they did to make this team, uh, become one of Chicago's sports teams, not a novelty team. We became, we did appearances with the Bears and, the Bulls, the White Sox, the Cubs, we were intertwined with all of those teams at these major events in Chicago that had something going on for those teams all the time. So I'll say again, Chicago was more of the model franchise. If everyone could have done it that way, we might be looking at the WBL, not the WNBA today. Yeah. And what does that mean to you to, you know, nearly 45 years later, um, still go to Chicago Sky Games and be recognized and supported by those Chicago, Chicago Hustle fans? Well, that's, that is the beginning. The Chicago Sky and the Dallas Wings did the last, last year, the Chicago Sky, this year, the Dallas Wings introduced us at halftime because we have, have some Dallas Diamonds on our board and Nancy Lieberman is their ambassador there. So it was a, a program, a women of distinction program that, uh, she had, and uh, myself, Rita Swindell, Peggy Gillum, who played for the Diamonds on our lob board, and Deborah Thomas, a board member, and myself, represented lob and the WBL at that event. And um, it means that, and, and Amber Cox, I have to mention her name, of the Wings and Michael Alter of the Sky embraced us. They, they appreciate our history. And then I want to give... Um, Gratitude, show gratitude to Kathy Engelberg. We recently had a display revealed at the WNBA headquarters uh, about the ball because not only did we debut women's professional basketball, the ball itself was debuted that day. The brainstorm of the brainchild of Karen Logan 
and Bill Byrne uh, agreed with it, and Wilson produced it. So that ball was also on display, and the women delivered, and that ball delivered. And by 1984, it was accepted by the NCAA, and it is the standard size at every level today. So that is, that's history that we are trying to get out there, the significance of it. And we're grateful to the WNBA. We're grateful to Athletes Unlimited, whom we've also collaborated with, and all the organizations that are helping us bring this history to light. Because really, Natalie, it's hidden history with a lot of hidden figures. And that's, that's the chore ahead of us. We, um, we, we, talk to WNBA players and kids, uh, young kids and uh, high school kids. And we, we, everyone is excited to learn about this history. So it just lets us know that it is important. It does matter. They just don't know it. And so we're grateful to this opportunity for this opportunity to speak with you and all the podcasters. Of course, Delhi does did one with us yesterday. All the people who are, willing and wanting to learn this very important history. Yeah. And I will uh, put a link uh, in our show notes to all of our WBL stories, including one that I wrote um, about Karen Logan, uh, who designed that women's size basketball. Uh, That's a perfect transition into our next segment where we'll be talking about the legacy of the WBL. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. I love to give experiences as holiday gifts, and GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events I'm looking to give as gifts this season. I love GameTime because it is the place for last-minute tickets, flash deals, and zone deals, and they even have a lowest price guarantee as well as event cancellation protection and job loss protection. GameTime is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. GameTime has all-in prices that show your total up front, so you know you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. And you can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Liz, what doors did playing in the WBL open up for you? Um, for myself, and I think for a large, not I think, I know for a large group of us, it opened up a career after playing in the WBL. There's over, there's close to 1500 years of collective coaching among the WBL, the women of the WBL and men, because Doug Bruno, as I mentioned, uh, still coaching at DePaul, Greg Williams coached, several of our coaches coached, and uh, so many of the women of the WBL coached. That allowed us to stay connected to the game. It allowed us to pass it on and pay it forward to those players we coached who are now coaching players. Peggy Gillum coached in the WNBA. Trish Roberts coached in the ABL. Uh, Rita Swindell coached Teresa Weatherspoon, who is now the coach of the Sky. Uh, Charlene McCorder-Jackson, these are our board members, and uh, Adrian Mitchell-Newell also coached. Um, Molly Bolin-Kasmer worked with youth. Deborah Thomas worked with youth. So we, we never left the game. 
And so I think the WBL allowed us to step into that next phase. As as the league ended, the WBCA was born. And we flooded and helped really jumpstart the WBCA because I know I started my coaching career at Northwestern University uh, in Evanston, Illinois. So I remember joining the WBCA and starting that out. So it allowed us to continue to keep our 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 hand in the mix and our handprints are all over the game with the young women we've impacted. And for the listeners at home, uh, I met Liz through uh, her organization, Legends of the Ball Inc., which you mentioned earlier. But mm-hmm. can you just, for the listeners at home, tell them what Legends of the Ball Inc. is and what you all do? In 2018, uh, the WBL was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame as uh, trailblazers of the game. It was then, even though we were thrilled about that award and uh, that recognition, it became clear that our full history was just not known. Uh, a league that failed. You know, we were not a league that failed. We were a league that propelled the game forward. And a lot of those things I mentioned was one of those ways. On that WBL group was the 76 Olympic team, 78 uh, members of that team were WBLers and they recently went into the Naismith and our very own Trish Roberts and Ann Myers Drysdale, who is our, on our advisory board, uh, were, were part of that team. So Legends of the Ball Inc. was formed by 12, 12 members of the WBL. We were all talking and to promote the historic and social relevance of the WBL because it, as much as we want to believe that people know about it, every time we come, come, in front of an audience or talk or speak, we're just, we find out that people really don't. And the battle is still, you know, being waged to get this story and this history out. When these young women look at the ball that they play with, that's, that ball has a history of its own. We introduced that ball. So we became a generation of firsts and we felt that we needed to get those, that information out. So Legends of the Ball Inc. was born and we spend our time promoting this league and the women, the men and women of this league and all the impact that it had, the contributions that were made by this group. Um, most of us were the first um, All-Americans on our teams, the first African-Americans, the first to play on the Olympic team, the first to play on national teams, the first to play overseas, the first to receive scholarships. So among, if every university would find their trailblazer, in fact, we have a campaign called Find Your Trailblazer, just go with your SID and go look. You're going to find a WBLer, a Title IX AIW WBL trailblazer. You have to because we were the first to receive scholarships on the first teams as a result of Title IX. So we, we want to work with the NCAA. We want to work with everybody so that and on a grassroots level so that this history can be out there. And that's what Legends of the Ball Inc. is about. We also offer scholarships. Our mantra is passing it on, paying it forward. And that's what we want to do, pass on this history. Because we want to become the reference, the guide, and the touchstone that this generation can use and look back. There's no reason for them to say, I didn't have role models. Because you did. But not knowing they were there cheated them. It cheated us. But it cheats everyone when you don't know the history makers and the trailblazers and the hidden figures that come before you. That's our job. That's the mantle. We've, that's what we've taken up and uh, continue to do so to fight for it. And you mentioned uh, 
that you and other members of Legends of the Ball uh, went to WNBA headquarters. Can you talk a little bit more about how that event came to be uh, and what it was like, you know, getting that recognition um, for that smaller ball uh, that Karen Logan designed? Yes, basically just reaching out, reaching out to Kathy Engelbert. And um, she put a group together and Lauren Dwyer uh, and Don Hine uh, reached out, worked with us on putting together a collage that includes WBL pictures as well as WNBA pictures. Wilson, who has been great, a uh, great collaborative partner, we went to them, same thing, reaching out. And you got to understand a lot of these people, like the people at Wilson, I think they found one of their um, – former employees who was aware of it, but they couldn't just take our word for it. They had to go research in their archives and they found it in their archives and they've been a great collaborative partner. So it was the WNBN Wilson and Legends of the Ball Inc. And they made replicas of the original 28.5 inch ball but with the WBL logo on it. And then we have a current Wilson has come back full circle to the WNBA and they now, at their 25th anniversary, they produced the ball once again. So it was this marriage of the two that, you know, didn't one didn't know the other, the origin of the other. And so with Wilson, the WNBA, like I said, thanks to Kathy Engelbert and her staff, and we put together this this display, and they had a reveal. Uh, myself, uh, Adrian Mitchell Newell, our secretary, and Charlene McCorder Jackson, our treasurer went there and we invited Gail Marquis, one of those 76 Olympians and played for the New York stars. Um, and Doug Bruno was there. And one of the owners of the St. Louis street, Vince Gennaro was there on hand to um, participate in the reveal and accept it from Kathy Engelbert and her staff. So that's how that came about. And we're grateful to the WNBA. There's so many more projects we can do together. There's so much more history to share and we look forward to doing that. I look forward to to seeing it uh, come to fruition as well. Um, mm. And you mentioned that WBL was honored at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in, in 2018. Several mm. people that played in the WBL have been inducted as individuals. Um, but you can you just tell me what it means to you to see Rita Easterling on the list of 2024 inductees? It, it means uh, a, a, a great deal to us. Uh, Rita is so deserving, and we have... Uh, you know, some others that we feel are deserving and we'll be, we'll be working to make that happen. But, um, when you look at the different eras, uh, you want to make sure that every era is represented, that you don't leave anyone out. I think it's inevitable sometimes that that happens. But Rita was one of those candidates that needed to go in to kind of complete, uh, the representation of that triad, which is AI, the, the Title IX AIAW WBL triad that is a special group of women who impacted the game. She had all the credentials uh, as a trailblazer, as an AIAW All-American, and as a WNBA, uh, I'm sorry, WBL All-Star, All-Pro MVP of the league the first year, MVP of the first All-Star game, and it was just a matter of time. So getting her in is is paying tribute to Rita as the individual player she is, but we also look at it as paying tribute tribute to the WBL and the women of that era, so many whose paths, you know, were the same as Rita's. So just just a well-deserved honor 
and it's a great class she's going in with. And uh, I think that her, her induction also will shed more light on the WBL and, and some others who uh, need to go in as well. <laughs> and one of the last questions I have for you today is uh, kind of a, an overarching one. What has the last 45 years meant to you as someone who played in the WBL and what legacy do you hope you and the rest of the league has left on women's basketball? First of all, it's, it's, it's hard to believe and speak in terms of 45 years. That's a lifetime, but we were young girls fresh out of college and with the opportunity to play, we seized that moment. We took advantage of it. We took the baton we were given. We ran with it as far as we could. We continued to impact the game. We never left the game. Uh, we want people to know that this league existed, not just that it was a first league or a league that failed, but a league that has given and continues to give to the game. I have this saying that I say every time we hear a player say, I didn't have any role models. Well, we were there. Okay, We see ourselves in today's players, but they don't know or speak our names. They continue to soar and don't know who gave them wings. So we want them to know we were there. We, you stand on our shoulders and we stand on those who came before. And we want the women to understand that we've got to get it right. There should be a timeline where every era, every generation's contributions are known. And they are that reference and that guide. And, um, we want, we want them to know that the legacy and the impact of the WBL is is huge and it has so many layers that need to be peeled back if you connect the dots they're going to lead back to us not that we were the first to play the game that women have been playing since 1892 but today's game if you look at today's game and if you you have to look at the title nine um impact we are those title nine trailblazers that set this current era of players in motion and everybody that came after, we pay homage to those who came before, but everyone that came after can can honestly trace their be humble beginnings back to the women of the WBL, who were the women of the AIAW, who were the Title IX Trailblazers. Go find your trailblazer at your one of those 167 universities. And then discover your own personal history from your own university. Thank you so much for joining me today, Liz. I always learn so much from you. Where can the people find out more about Legends of the Ball, Inc. and the WBL? Well, we are on all social media. On uh, You can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, and our website, um, www.legendsoftheballinc.org. And find follow us in the events that we continue to participate in, uh, how we continue to promote the game, continue to give back to the game. And uh, you can donate to support our causes. We give scholarships. We raise funds for scholarships and to promote the historic relevance. That is what we really have to set out to do. We have to be a, a traveling um, show, a traveling exhibit, you know, to take this history out to the people. So yep. follow us, support us. And in, in doing so, you're supporting history. Awesome. Thanks so much, Liz, for joining me. And, and thanks for making Thank Locked On Women's Basketball. <laughs> and thanks, thanks, to our, thanks to our listeners for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day.
Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Make sure to tune in the rest of this week for Howard's conversations with Jackie Jamelis and Indiana Fever General Manager Lynn Dunn.